All right. Hey, thanks, worship team, for leading us this morning. The guy can preach. He can lead worship. What can't you do, bro? I mean, come on. Nicely done. You can't climb down big cliffs. You did great. You did great. We went to Havasu Falls this week. Yes, right back there, somebody else that went. And has anybody heard of Mooney Falls? It's a little scary. you got to kind of climb down this makeshift, not up to code sort of rocks and chains. And then there's a la- couple ladders at the end, and you step on them, and they lean out a little bit. It's really, it's really uh, quite uh, in- enthralling. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. You did great, my brother. You did great. So... Well, um, we are wrapping up a series on the Holy Spirit this week, and uh, never fear, there's lots more to be said, and so we are going to do uh, more throughout the next year, just kind of sprinkle it here and there. But we, um, we really wanted to do this series just to open up some possibilities in the minds of some of us that maybe haven't been told or, or realized what's available to followers of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's like um, when Jesus was here on earth and he told his disciples, hey, I'm going to have to go away because uh, it's good for you that I go away because if I don't go away, then the counselor, the Holy Spirit, won't come to you. But if I go away, then I'll send him. And they were all thinking like, what? Nothing could be better than having Jesus here with us all the time, right? Nothing could be better than that. But as good as it was for them to have Jesus here on earth, the problem with him being here physically was that with his physical body limitations, he could only be here in one place at a time. Like his human body had this limitation. And so when he ascended back into heaven, he promised that the Holy Spirit would then come and dwell with each of them wherever they were. They didn't have to be all together with him. They would be in different places, and wherever they were, he would dwell within them. Now, to have God dwell within you, that's a pretty intimate relationship, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of mind-blowing, especially when you compare it to other world religions, even when you compare it to the religion, Judaism, that, that Christianity came out of. That's really intimate to think that God will dwell inside of us, that, that we don't have to be looking for God out here all the time, Because once we've received Jesus, he has taken up residence right here inside of us, within us. And so God gives us a new heart. He gives us the new covenant, which Ezekiel 26 promises before Jesus came. Here was God's promise. I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to take out your stony, stubborn heart. I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart. Anybody here? Thank God for that, that he will take that stony stubbornness from us and give us a soft heart instead. Is anyone besides me really grateful for that? I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that gift that God will live in us now. And we can have this relationship with him that is so different than it would have been before. So now, kind of catch up where we're at in the series. Now, with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, What does God intend for us to do with that, right? We're glad, thank you, God, you now dwell within me. But what was his purpose? What was he thinking? What was the plan behind all of that? When Noah was little, um, we had a bedtime routine for him. And uh, it was, I think it was something like uh, um, take a bath, um, have a snack, uh, brush teeth, 
tell a story, go to sleep, right? This was just sort of the routine that we had. But Noah um, was a little bit like his, his dad. He was a little bit of shyster. Um, he would always say, no, 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 here's the plan, dad. Here's the plan. And he would just kind of scramble it up in a whole different order, right? So we go, okay, buddy, what's the plan? And he'd fill us in on the plan. Well, Jesus, um, in some ways, did something similar because we think we know what we would want with the Holy Spirit inside of us, what we'd want that to look like. And sometimes it's kind of just about me. I want my life to go well. I want my uh, joy and peace to be intact all the time. I want healing and provision, and I want all these things for me. That's what I'm hoping the Holy Spirit gives me when he gives me gifts. Um, But Jesus had a different plan. Here's the plan, Jesus says, with him inside of us. Matthew 28, 18, this is the plan. Here's the plan. Jesus came to his disciples, and this is right before he ascends back to heaven. And he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, Jesus won the victory on the cross and by being resurrected. All authority has been given to me. He says, here's what you do with this now, with the spirit inside of you. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely, you won't do this alone. I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. Here's the plan, Jesus says. And then he ascends and goes away. And now they're waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's supposed to come and give them the power to do that? I mean, that's a tall order. Go to all the earth, right? Teach. There were probably 100, 120 you know, followers of Jesus at that time. That was it. And Jesus, you're telling us not to just worry about our village or our region or Israel, but you're telling us to go to all the earth? Like, are you kidding I mean, think about this. Right before Jesus gives this tall order, after he'd been crucified, all the disciples had just fallen away from him. They had all cowered and run. They had all fallen away. And then he's resurrected, and they've got to be like, whoa, okay, this is, this is a little amazing and weird. But they're still confused. In fact, they're hiding out. Even though they know Jesus is alive, they're hiding out they're just waiting, kind of hiding, because they're afraid that even though he's alive, the the Romans, they're going to come get us. They're going to do to us what they did to him. They're going to crucify us. So they are cowering in fear. But Jesus is telling these fearful, failed disciples who have blown it over and over, hey, go to all the world, right? Go to all the world. Here's your marching orders. Go to all the world. Uh, Teach them what I've taught you. Baptize them. I mean, what is he thinking? Right? What is he thinking? Here's the plan. (laughs) See, these marching orders kind of sound like a pipe dream. Like, there's no way. There's no way that what Jesus just told them to do, there's no way it's going to work. Unless, unless God gives them the power to do it. Amen? See, so here's what Jesus says. After he gives them their marching orders a little bit later, Acts chapter 1, he tells the disciples what to do. Okay, here's what you do next. This is before he ascends to heaven. He says, go and wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift my father promised. And then a couple verses later, verse 8, he says, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's reiterating the plan. Like, hey, I'm not kidding about this. You're going to get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be able to do what I've called you to do. Now, fast forward a little bit here. Um, He ascends back to heaven. um, And a chapter later in Acts chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost. And we've talked through that a little bit in this series. If you've missed that, feel free to get online and, and listen back to some of that. But what happens on the day of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit does come upon them. They've been waiting, like Jesus said. The Spirit comes upon them. It looks incredibly strange, very weird. But suddenly, here's what to note. They now have the power to do what Jesus had said to do. Before that, right, they were cowards. They were afraid. There was no way they were going to do it. But now that the power of God has come upon them, the Holy Spirit has come upon them, now they can actually do what Jesus had told them to do. They have the power now to go into all the world and to make disciples, and you read through the rest of the book of Acts, and some, some writers uh, refer to it as the Acts, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. But I kind of wonder if um, it'd be more accurate to call the book of Acts uh, the book about the power of the Holy Spirit through the followers of Jesus. Too long? Is that too long a title? All right, we'll stick with the book of Acts. All right, so I thought I'd try. I mean, if you guys were game, you know, but no. Um, So the book of Acts just tells that story of the followers of Jesus who remember before the Spirit came upon them, they were hiding, they were scared to death. But boom, after the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit comes upon them, everything changes and now they turn the world upside down. Because now the Holy Spirit's power is upon them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are operating in the gifts that the Spirit gives, which we've also talked a bit about during this series. They are operating in the gifts that are given, and now nothing can stop them. And that day of Pentecost, by the way, the church went from about 100, 120 people, the followers of Jesus, to 3,000 in one day on that day of Pentecost. And then over history here, the last couple thousand years, the church has continued to grow until the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, uh, now in modern times, number 2.2 billion people. And you wonder, like, there's no way that the disciples would have ever thought that even that was going to happen back then when all this started. They have to be blown away Because they went from, Christianity went from these group of people who were scared to death, living in fear, hiding out, to bold, uh, willing to be beaten, willing to give their very lives. Now, before, like, I've got to protect my life. I'm going to die, right? This is no good. I've got to hide, to, okay, if someone kills me, they kill me. I'm going to proclaim the power and the goodness of God and the gospel. It's amazing to see What happened as a result of them being empowered by the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit came upon them? Now, I want to make a little distinction here. Uh, I think it's an important distinction, and it's this. There is a difference between having the Holy Spirit within us and the Holy Spirit coming upon us. So let me start with this. Um, All believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit within you. Right, so at the moment that you say yes to Jesus, when you make that decision to follow 
Christ, um, the Bible says you're born again. Uh, the Holy Spirit then dwells within you. And we looked a lot at what that means earlier this year when you become a Christian. Um, there are some things that are now true about you, right? You have a new nature. Um, you are dead to sin now and you're alive to God. Your sins are washed away and completely forgiven. The Spirit comes and lives inside of you and doesn't leave. Uh, you're no longer seen as a sinner. You are a saint. Now, you're not perfect. We aren't perfect. But the truest thing about you and me, if we're followers of Jesus, that, that, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You represent him through you is what scripture says. And that's true of you even on your worst day, even when you blow it, even when you sure as heck do not look like the righteousness of God in Christ because you've got some of your other stuff that you're still going on. But the truest truth is that you are the righteousness of God on your worst day. You now belong to God. You are a son. You're a daughter. Nothing can change that. It's a done deal. The Holy Spirit is within you. Um, you don't have to keep getting born again or, or saved or whatever you want to call it. Every time you sin, every time you blow it, because God never leaves you, you are sealed in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, and, and that's a picture of the Holy Spirit within you. That's a picture of that, and I could have listed out 25, 30 scriptures on that, but we didn't want to be here all afternoon. So, um, But those are, that's the Holy Spirit within you, okay? So the Holy Spirit is within you if you belong to God, if you've said yes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is already within you, but there is more available. There's more available. See, the Holy Spirit also wants to come upon you and to fill you and to do it over and over. Ephesians 5.18 is just one of several examples. It says here, do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And that'd be a fun verse to take apart for a while, wouldn't it? Um, um, over and over, the word filled there, to be filled with the Spirit, uh, filled is to be over and over and over filled filled again and again and again. It's not just a one-time thing, which is a good thing because I leak, right? Spirit, fill me up again. I've been leaking, right? Um, see, the Holy Spirit wants to, not only dwells within you, but wants to come upon and fill us to give us the power to do what the disciples in the early church did when the Holy Spirit came upon them, to do this is going to sound weird to some of us, to do signs and wonders and miracles, to have boldness to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And to do any of those things, those are supernatural things, but to do any of that, we do need the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to fill us, to bring the gifts of the Spirit in order for us to do what Jesus calls us, his disciples, to do. Um, I met a new friend a pastor of a covenant church, Greg Krieger. He pastors Rock Harbor Covenant in the Sacramento area. Uh, he grew up in, in our denomination. He grew up in the covenants. Um, he's a little older than me. He's been pastoring for, for decades. His brother's also a pastor in the covenant. Um, and I first met him as I was hearing a conversation with some other pastors. And, and he talked about, he was very honest. Um, he, he said, uh, a few years ago, I believe it was, that, that, that he realized that he hadn't really been open to many of these areas of the supernatural ministry and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he's, again, grown up in the church, been a pastor for a long time. 
And he said he was reading in Acts chapter 19, and we'll go there now. Um, It's on the screen. Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus, where he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Verse three, so Paul asked, well, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him and in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Prophesied. Now, Greg has been a pastor, again, He's been in church all his life, a good Bible-based covenant church. But he is so humble, which, by the way, is a characteristic that God loves humility. He loves humility. God moves towards our humility. And so Greg said to me, um, he said, when I read verse 2, where they said, well, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. When, When he heard that, it just clicked for him wow, you know, that's the way that I've been operating for decades. Uh, Sure, he said, that he and probably many of us, we know about the Holy Spirit. We know the theology. Some of us have even gone to seminary. Um, So we know about the Holy Spirit, but for all practical intents and purposes, we haven't really heard or believed or moved into the truth that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is available to us today. That's active today. And so as he talked, he talked about how something just clicked. It connected for him, and he began to open himself to what walking in the Spirit meant, what it looked like to actually operate in the gifts of the Spirit, to be in touch with the Holy Spirit moment by moment, and to be filled with the Spirit again and again. And it's changed his life and ministry. And just one of many cool things that happen is sometimes he'll get a word for someone that he's talking to that doesn't really know him and he doesn't really know them, but it will, he'll kind of test it out and he'll say it to them and it leads them into conversation uh, about beginning to follow Jesus. I mean, that's some pretty good fruit right there, right? Like they are coming to Christ as he's willing to be obedient and operate in some of these gifts of the Spirit, And so he was saying, you know, hey, kind of like the Ephesians that Paul met there, you know, um, hey, we were just good Christians as well, but we, we, and now he's speaking for his broader circle, we haven't even heard that there really is a Holy Spirit. And as he said that, I thought, you know, I wonder if that's true for any of us as well. For all intents and purposes, we'd have to admit, well, When it comes to the practical reality, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, not in those ways. And I wonder, are we, even those of us who have been Christians for decades, are we fully engaged with what it means for the power of the Holy Spirit to to be moving and active in our lives? Are we aware of what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to come upon us? Or do we have to admit, like, would we have the humility, which again, God moves towards our humility, would we admit that practically speaking, it's like we're living in the, eh, we haven't really heard there is a Holy Spirit camp, but we're living there. Now, if that describes you, there's no shame in that. There's none at all. 
especially because many of us haven't been exposed to the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that, that's even supernaturally natural or normal without looking super strange or weird. Um, or you've just seen stuff on TV that freaks you out. Believe me, it freaks me out too, okay? Um, Maybe you haven't had good teaching on the Holy Spirit's supernatural power, so you just don't have the categories to process this and even try to work with it, which is part of why we've just done this short series to kind of give us some categories to just open us up to work with it. And so listen, here at Hope, especially here at Hope, there's no room in the family of God for any of us to look down on people who haven't entered into this area of being filled with the Spirit. Now, in other churches I've been at, there's sort of this unspoken or even spoken way of kind of looking down on people that haven't had these experiences or don't, or, or don't move in these gifts. We're not going to have any of that here. That does not belong in the kingdom of God. That doesn't belong here at our Hope Church family. Because, friends, how many of you know that whether you've moved in the gifts or not, how many of you know that we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit if we're going to do what Jesus calls us to do. Like Jim talked about um, a couple weeks ago, where where we're going to be naturally supernatural. Um, I mean, what Jesus said um, in John 14, verse 12, this verse is almost unbelievable, and I've heard people come up with really weird interpretations to try to reconcile what the heck Jesus was talking about. But let's just take Jesus at face value here. John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, he says, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Okay, wait a second. Jesus, what, what, what are you talking about here? Greater works than Jesus did? Like, if I remember right, Jesus did some pretty great works, yeah? Blind eyes see, deaf ears hear, people are healed, crippled folks begin to walk, oppressed people get set free, dead people come to life. That's pretty great, right? (laughs) But here Jesus is saying, no, 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 hey, you, followers of me, have the opportunity to do greater things than I did. I mean, it's mind-blowing, And we almost just blow past it and just go, eh, whatever, right? Listen, friends, if we just wanted to play church, (laughs) then by all means, there's no need for us to seek the empowerment or filling of the Holy Spirit. But if we want to step into the power that Jesus offers us, if we want to begin to see blind people see, and I'm talking physically and spiritually, but, but crippled people begin to walk, if we want to see oppressed people set free, if we want to see dead people come to life, people's hearts that are dead and hardened, if we want to see that come to life, then we are going to need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. So we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus calls us to do because it's not doable in our own power, our own skills. It's not doable in our own abilities. We need the gifts, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In fact, and this will be a stretch for some of you, but hang with me. In fact, even Jesus did. Even Jesus needed the gifts and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have your heresy alerts on. Well, don't worry. We're we're going right to scripture here, okay? 
<laughs> Let's look at Luke chapter three. This is the story um, where we've already heard about Jesus being born and he was a young man, he grew up. And then in Luke chapter three, verse 21 says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Now notice the phrase right there. The Holy Spirit came upon him, descended upon him. Okay? Um, Gary Kinneman, who um, has spoken here before, and I used to work for at a church named Word of Grace, which is uh, now Hillsong, and Gary's semi-retired. But but Gary likes to be provocative, but he does it in a way to get you to think. Gary says this um, about this passage here. Gary says, uh, before he was baptized, Jesus was a good Christian. But at his baptism, he became a good Pentecostal. (laughs) I'm sure I offended somebody there. Now think about this for a moment, right? Um, before Jesus was baptized, Jesus was like, you know, what we would call a good Christian. But by the way, the word Christian isn't invented until much later when the followers, in Jesus, the followers of Jesus in the early church were described as little Christs or Christians. So that begs the question, was Jesus a Christian? Okay, different talk, different day. All right, sorry, sorry. Um, where were we? Okay, before Jesus was baptized, Jesus was someone that today we would have described as a good Christian, right? Which is very true. Um, Luke 2.52, just back up a, a few, or back up a chapter. It talks about Jesus before this point, before being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And Gary Kinneman rightly says this. He says, that was the spirit of God in him, right? The spirit of God was within him, just like you and me, the spirit of God within us when we come to faith in Jesus. The spirit of God is within us, amen, right? So far, we're tracking, okay. Now, what about the other sentence in Gary's quote? At his baptism, he became a good Pentecostal. It's like, whoa, whoa, what? By the way, that category didn't exist back in Jesus' day either, charismatic or Pentecostal. Um, there was no label because it was just normal to experience and operate in the gifts. So, but, but look what happens um, at Jesus' baptism. Once Jesus is baptized, the Spirit comes upon him, and that's where his ministry begins. And now he's full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, in his life, he's about 30 years old by now, this is when his ministry begins, And it's a time of the power of the Holy Spirit. Miracles, healing, walking on water, feeding the 5,000, raising the dead. People were drawn to Jesus now that the Holy Spirit had come upon Jesus. Now, this didn't go unnoticed by evil either, right? Because the Spirit of God came upon him and the good things happened, but it was not an easy ride. If you keep reading the story, you recognize real quickly, Jesus went from that Luke 2 passage, uh, having the favor of all the people. He went from that to then he gets baptized, the spirit comes upon him, and now he's a very polarizing figure. Because the kingdom of God starts to show up, people start to get healed and delivered and set free and restored, all this good stuff. But when the kingdom of God broke in, when the spirit showed up, and it was upon Jesus, all hell broke loose too. This was all out cosmic and spiritual war. 
Look at the next chapter, Luke chapter four. Um, We'll blow through this here, but Jesus is led into the desert for 40 days, right after he's baptized, right after the spirit comes upon him, he's tempted by Satan. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit and fresh off of hearing his father say, this is my beloved son, I'm pleased with him. He gets through and makes it through that temptation and then he begins his public ministry. Verse 14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region and he taught regularly in their synagogues. He was praised by everyone. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written and by the way, we love this next passage here at Hope. This passage we read frequently here. This is the mission of Jesus. Here Jesus is gonna announce and proclaim why he came and what he will do. Verse 18, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. On me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, he sat down, everybody's looking at him, and he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, did you catch that phrase early in there as he begins to read his mission statement? The spirit of the Lord is on me, right? It's come upon me. Again, this is where the power for his ministry comes from, the spirit upon him. Now, if you keep reading the story, what happens next is also kind of the, whoops, oh, this is not all peaches and cream here. Uh, The result of the spirit being upon him Um, doesn't set well with everyone. Suddenly the crowd turns on Jesus, right here in his hometown. This Jesus who grew up there, this young man they were impressed with, suddenly, once the Spirit's upon him, he's someone that they try to kill. And you can read in verse 29, you can read this later, but they march him up to throw him off a cliff, and he slips through the crowd and he leaves. And you go, what in the world? Where did that come from? I mean, with the spirit upon you, how could there be any conflict, right? Like, 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 how could a nice church service full of his neighbors turn into an attempt to kill him? I mean, think about this. You have probably heard a sermon somewhere, or maybe here, that, that you rolled your eyes at, uh, a sermon that missed the mark, bored you to tears, or just plain sucked, and the odds are that I was the one who preached it, okay? Let's just be honest here, okay? Um, or maybe you heard a sermon that you were offended at, you were offended. I, I, I had a person leave a church I was at one time because I simply reminded someone from Scripture, hey, listen, God's not a Republican or a Democrat. Like, the kingdom of God is not about that. The kingdom of God is more concerned with our love for people than our political opinions. So if we're followers of Jesus, we don't have permission to just be nasty and horrible to people we don't agree with politically. It just, that's how it is, right? I mean, it's not hard to find that in Scripture, might be hard to, find, hard to find that in churches, but it's not hard to find in the Bible. So this guy just ticked, and he just left. Um, okay, that's, that's, that's fine. Um, another time we had a person wrote on our, you know, these are prayer requests, these connect cards. It says prayer requests, and so it's not a comment card. Like, it's not for, right? It's like, hey, just, 
Let's do the Matthew 18 thing. Come and talk to us. Don't write. But he disguised it as a prayer request. You know, I pray that and, you know, went down this long list. And what he was upset about was that I read a scripture from the Bible that talked about how we need to care for the foreigner and the alien among us. So he wrote an anonymous prayer request that wasn't a prayer request, just kind of a sideways attempt to manipulate. And I wasn't sure if I was supposed to apologize for reading a passage of scripture in church. I, I wasn't quite sure what to do, but... But here's the deal, like, people don't like the sermon, they don't like the message, they get offended, people leave, people are stupid, no, no, I'm just kidding, Um, just kidding, I'm joking, I'm stupid too, right, all right, you can have that card back. (laughs) But listen, here's the deal, even when people get mad and leave, You know, if I really tick you guys off some week, I still can't imagine you hauling me to the top of the building to try to throw me off the roof, right? (laughs) There was a little nervous laughter there. I'm not sure if I should be comfortable here. Um, All right, I will try not to be terrible, right? But Jesus, right, he's full of the Spirit. He's doing miracles. He's seeing crazy, amazing stuff happen. But there's opposition, When the spirit comes upon you, the enemy doesn't take it lying down. And it's interesting that the warfare he experienced here came through people who would have seen themselves as good religious people. But from the time that Jesus was baptized and the spirit came upon him, uh, Gary Kinnaman again, he notes that from this point, Jesus' life was also marked by spiritual warfare, misunderstandings, and conflict. People thought he was from the devil. They say that through scripture. He is from the devil. That's a part of the spirit being upon him. And when Gary said that to me a couple weeks ago, it gave me pause for a couple reasons. First, sometimes the spirit-filled folks, charismatics, Pentecostals, a lot of those folks from the church world, they take a lot of heat for what they do. And I'm not saying that it, does, it doesn't look weird sometimes. I'm not saying that everything that we hear taught from those camps is always scriptural. But, but, like, I don't want to throw the Holy Spirit baby out with the crazy bathwater. Okay? I'm sure that the nice religious people who misunderstood Jesus would never have guessed that they were actually partnering with the enemy in criticizing and attacking Jesus. They would have never said, oh yeah, we're on the wrong side on this one. And so when I look and kind of sometimes judge folks that move in those gifts, I don't want to be on the wrong side of that stuff either. Like I don't want to write people off who do things that I don't fully understand because the truth is the spirit of God is at work in many of those places, in many of those people. And the truth is, if you look at the church around the world, the church is growing fastest among spirit-filled churches around the world. And so if God is at work, and he is at work, and if it's in ways that I don't fully understand, I really don't want to oppose something that God is up to. Now, second thing that it gave me pause, um, the fact that Jesus, after the spirit came upon him, encountered opposition, accusation, spiritual warfare, that fact reminds me that being a super or a naturally supernatural person, which sounds like fun and it is, okay? But it also means that there will be opposition, there will be criticism, there will be misunderstanding, there will be warfare, spiritual warfare that we're gonna have to learn about, and that stuff's not so fun. 
Honestly, it's way easier to just be complacent, you know, avoid controversy. Hey, let's just put on a good show. Let's give a good talk. Let's be funny and call it a Sunday church service. But it doesn't seem like that's a part of the deal, like the package that's offered to us if we're going to follow the model of Jesus and the disciples. To become living, when we live naturally supernatural, um, living that way with the Spirit of God within us and upon us, that living that way breaks down walls. It brings the kingdom of God to life. The enemy hates that stuff. The enemy of your soul and mine does not want people to get free, so it gets opposed. And sometimes by people who appear to be really nice religious church people. Oh, the stories I could tell. I should have Joel tell these stories. He's, he's, he's not working here right now, right? You could get up and give us a few, right? <laughs> he couldn't get in too much trouble. No, he's just smiling at me. He's not going to go for it. All right. Um, see, but the Apostle Paul, back to the, the theme here. The Apostle Paul, rem, Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 that our struggle, it's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That sounds just spooky, but if it wasn't in, you know, it's in there, so it's worth us paying attention to. So if we're going to follow in the footsteps of our rabbi Jesus, if we're going to walk his way, we have to be prepared for the spiritual warfare that's a part of it, and that the enemy will oppose the work of God in the kingdom. But friends, even with that kind of reality check that I wanted to make sure I put in there, um, even with that reality, like, oh, that does sound less fun and a little scary, wouldn't you still, wouldn't you still rather be joining with Jesus in, in preaching good news to the poor, in setting the captives free, and in, in helping bring sight to the blind, to see dead people, to see dead, hardened hearts come to life? Wouldn't you rather still do that? So friends, we do, we need the gifts of the Spirit if we're going to be engaged to live out what God invites us into. And if Jesus needed the Spirit to come upon him, don't we? If we're going to live that way, don't we need that too? So in the last few minutes here, I want to wrap up with, with okay, then how, right? How? Okay, then how do we invite that? How do we receive these gifts? And, and last week we talked a bit about it. At the end, we talked about 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, where it says, eagerly seek the gifts. And the word there was zealously desire. It's not passive. It's not like, well, if it happens, it happens, whatever. No, no, no. Eagerly seek the gifts, it says. But even as you eagerly seek the gifts, as you zealously pursue the gifts, I want to remind us, we aren't striving, right? This isn't something we're trying to strive for or earn. We're not begging God for it. It's a gift. And God wants to give gifts to you. Read again through Luke 11. We talked about it last week where it says, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. And he continues in that same familiar teaching and says, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who right there in the text. So if we want to operate in these gifts, if we want to receive them, do we need to go out and you know, buy a book and figure out how to receive the gifts of the Spirit? And there's plenty of them to buy. I could probably recommend a few, but here's the truth. You don't really have to do that. It's not that 
difficult. It's probably more simple than that. Um, Here's how we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit coming upon us to fill us, to empower us. I I think it, seriously, it really involves unpacking two words, ask and empty, right? So we've already talked a little bit about the first word, ask, right? Just ask. And and, and the word in the the New Testament for ask and you'll receive is a keep on asking. Like, it's not just a one time, just ask, just ask again. Again, not begging, but earnestly, zealously asking God, And just real practically, just get alone with God in a quiet place. Um, Maybe ask God to show you his heart for the world, all the people that he wants to set free. Maybe write around you and and ask him to give you gifts that would help to do that. Like get a picture of how huge the task in front of us as his believers is if we don't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, How impossible it is for us to do what he calls us to do if it's on our own. And then ask him to give you the power needed to do what you cannot do on your own. Just pray, Holy Spirit, come and wait. So that's the first one, ask, okay? Secondly, empty. Now, I don't have a ton of time, um, so I'm going to try to simplify this. Empty. When I think of the empty word here, um, and Greg Boyd talks about this, he, he, he talks about how we ask the Holy Spirit to maybe show us what might be in the way of our actually being filled, uh, of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit, or of, of what's in the way of the Holy Spirit coming upon me or filling me. Um, I kind of think of it as asking the question, you know, okay, what else am I full of? Um, and my friends, shush. Uh, but what, what else is in the way? Like, am I filled with something else? Is there other stuff that's kind of in the way? Remember that Ephesians 5.18 verse, don't be drunk with wine. Don't do that. That would get in the way. You'd be off task. And it's not just wine that it's talking about. It's being filled or looking to anything to medicate our pain or to fill ourselves besides God. Don't look to that stuff, but be filled with the Spirit. And so is there something in the way that, that needs to be emptied out? And again, this is not about like, oh, you've got to have complete perfection and holiness um, in order for the Holy Spirit to fill you and baptize you. No, it's, it, it's not like God won't fill you until you have all your stuff together. But if I want to be filled with the Spirit, instead of being filled with something else, then I have to make space for the Spirit to operate. It's kind of like, um, okay, let's say that's me. And uh, an empty vessel would be not having all these rocks or this junk in the glass. But I got some stuff in the way. So how much can I actually be filled? Well, I can maybe get about that much. But you know what? There's room for a lot more if I simply empty out. If I empty out, now I have space to be filled with all that God has for me. So ask God, is there something in the way? Is there something that you want to empty from me so that you can fill me? God, what am I turning to to be filled instead of you? And then take your hands off of that stuff and let it go, release it to him. So again, ask and empty. Uh, Worship team, will you come?
Oh, family, don't you, don't you want more of God in your life? Yeah. Wouldn't you love to see God working through you in powerful ways? Anyone? Yeah. I'm going to try over here. Anyone over here? Yes. Okay. The Holy Ghost is over here. That's good. Okay. Um, and maybe when all of this talk comes, you just, you're afraid. And maybe you can identify like with the disciples before they were filled with the spirit, before the spirit came upon them and they were afraid. But, but 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And so do you need the power of the Holy Spirit to come so that you can fulfill his invitation to you, this invitation to love and serve and reach this world with his love, his goodness, his grace? Because if that's what you want, just pray, right? Ask for it, empty, and pray, Holy Spirit, come. And maybe some of you are in a circumstance right now where you know in your life story and what you're facing or someone that you're walking with, what they're facing. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up in power, there is no hope. Maybe you're facing dead things. Maybe something in your marriage has died or you're facing something that's almost dead. And if that's the case, friends, the only hope that you and I have for dead things to come to life is if the Spirit comes upon us fills us and moves in power. See, the wounded places in you or those around you, they are hopelessly broken unless, unless the Spirit comes and brings a miracle, a healing of the heart. Because when the Spirit comes, blind eyes see, hard hearts soften, hope is renewed when the Spirit comes. And wouldn't that be something? When, when we start to see the people around us coming to Jesus and they come to Jesus here at Hope in our community, not because we have a slick show or a perfectly memorized sales pitch, not because they were manipulated or had the hell scared out of them, not because the band was professional and the speaker was funny or polished, but people started coming to Jesus because the Spirit of God began to, to move. They were drawn by the Spirit of living God. Won't that be something? Because friends, that's what God is up to here and at lots of churches I know as well. God's doing something real, but it's something that absolutely depends on the empowerment of his spirit. And without the spirit of God moving, friends, we have no hope. And so we pray and sing, Holy Spirit, come. Will you stand with me? Let's let the words of this song be our prayer and sink in as an invitation for God to come and fill us.